The following episode contains mature and adult conversations. While we aim for open dialogue on the show, listener discretion is advised. When are they going to make a commercial about toxic femininity? Is Venus going to come out with a commercial about these women who are absolute succubuses? You want to talk to me about toxic masculinity? You've been using tits to sell your razors for how many years? Give me a break. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that has or has the potential to be problematic within the church by dialoguing with a guest that has insight or experience with that subject. Now, if you've heard before on the show, we won't always agree, but we won't argue. Our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing views in a way that builds bridges and not barriers. Our guest this week is Kyle Thompson. Kyle is the founder of Undaunted Life. You may have heard him on the Undaunted Life podcast, and their work is all about cultivating manly resilience. The content focuses on building spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Kyle, welcome to The Dismantle. Hey, man. Great to be here. Great to have you on. So before we get started, Kyle, how did you get introduced to church and to faith? What's your background with spiritual stuff? Yeah, Joey, the thing with uh, with me, I'm, I live in Oklahoma. I grew up in southwest Oklahoma in a town called Lawton. And, um, you know, basically, if you live in this part of the country, you're just a Christian by writ of birth, pretty much. <laughs> and so uh, you're basically a believer in God because of where you live. But there was no semblance of that in my family of origin. There, were, there was no spiritualism discussed within the household, no Bible reading, no church attendance. Um, my mom started dragging my sister and I to church when I was like nine or 10 to a little Church of Christ there in Lawton. But there, there was nothing to it. Um, as we're driving home one day, she's like, well, you think it's about time you guys get baptized? And I was like, oh, well, you know, what's what's baptism? And she didn't say anything about it. She just said, you know, that's where they dunk you and wash away all your sins. And around that same time, maybe a few years before that, I'd seen my grandmother who was dying of cancer. She got baptized like a day or two before she died. And so growing up as a kid, the paradigm I had in my brain was, oh, okay, sin is all over your body. But as long as you get baptized close enough to your death, there's not enough sin on you that'll keep you from going to heaven. Okay, Hmm. that makes sense. And so that's where my theology was at that point because no one had taught me. Um, But basically, whenever I feel like I actually became a Christian is whenever I was a junior or a sophomore in high school. Um, I started going to church on my own. To be honest, I started going to this youth group because all the girls were smoking hot. And so that's like, all right, that's where all my friends are going to be. That's where I'm going to be. So there was a guy who came in and he did a guest sermon. He was, it was on a Sunday night and it was really hellfire and brimstone type of a deal. And I decided I was going to accept Jesus Christ into my heart at that moment. And again, that's when I was, you know, uh, 15 years old, 14 or 15 years old. And so around the same time I was becoming a man, I was also trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian. Right. And I didn't really get any discipleship, didn't really get any assistance, just started digging into the New Testament by myself. Um, And then I guess that kind of gives you a little bit of a baseline as to kind of where I came from and kind of where where I feel like I came to faith. Hmm. Now, most people who have been on a faith journey from a younger age would call it just that, that it's a journey and that there's been changes along the way. Would you say that that's true for you, too? Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, when you have no you know, background in this and you have no foundational beliefs, you just kind of are stumbling around like a wounded deer for a while trying to figure out what exactly you want to do or what you believe. And so, you know, where I kind of ran aground is after I had blown through the New Testament and just like highlights all over my, you know, teenage Bible and like, oh man, all this stuff I'm learning, this is crazy. Jesus is the best. And then I get to the Old Testament. 
I was like, all right, Genesis. I, I remember some of this stuff. I've heard some of this stuff because, you know, Adam and Eve, that's pretty much a cultural thing. And then you start getting into, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it's just like, ah, what is this? Like, this is not the New Testament. What is all this nonsense? And so from that moment, you're trying to figure things out and you're, you're trying to understand where to go. But then by the time I was kind of getting some semblance of understanding, it was time to go to college. Hmm. Right. So I had been involved in the youth group and I'd say I was a leader in the youth group um, and had a lot of influence there. And then you go to college and then there's no one demanding that you go to the Baptist Student Union or the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, whatever they call it. And so you kind of start going to church on your own. And, you know, around that time, that's when Life Church was really getting going because I went to college in Edmond, Oklahoma, University of Central Oklahoma. And so I just started going to a church that kind of sort of met my needs and, but I just didn't really take it seriously all throughout college. But I mean, that's kind of the thing whenever you talk about your faith journey is it's really, it's really been a solo journey for the entirety of my life, right? Until I got married and then we started going to church together, but there was never really that person there that was kind of helping bring you along or challenge you or rebuke you or move you in a certain direction. And so just that being the the natural tendency that you run into with something like that, you know, it is kind of hard to have that foundation. Foundation. But as an adult who's thinking about having kids in the very near future, that's something that you can't really use as an excuse. You got to figure it out and come up with an idea of, okay, what's your philosophy? But then also, what is the exegetical explanation about what's the what the Bible's trying to say on these important topics? Does that make sense? Totally. And that's really cool, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So today on The Dismantle, we are discussing masculinity and the church. Now, you can go back and listen to Undaunted Life podcast and check this out. But in episode four of your podcast, you got a crazy title. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> why does everyone like to talk about that episode? You know, there's a bunch of others. Because it's shock value. <laughs> well, see, so that's the thing is for your listeners that don't know on the podcast, it's Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. And episode four is called Pussies in the Pews. And so the thing was is... I started out the podcast with kind of an introductory podcast. This is who Undaunted Life is. This is what the podcast is going to be about. And then I think I did one on like goal setting because it was around the new year and I, I did something on something else. And then this was kind of the line in the sand episode. Hmm. And I didn't think I was going to go into it that early with my overall philosophy about men's ministry and what men's ministry has been and what it should be. But I, I talked to a few of my guys uh, in my life and I was like, you know, is now the time? And then I told them, I was like, this is what I'm thinking about calling the episode and I can't come up with a better title. And I was expecting them to be like, oh, Kyle, we know you're intense, but bro, you, you got to taper it down just a hair. But no, everyone <laughs> was like, no, I get it. I get it. That's exactly how guys talk. And that's exactly the point that you're making is there's too many pussies in the modern day church. Mm -hmm. And so just say it how you want to say it. But one guy's like, man, you're going scorched earth from the beginning and I like it, but man, get ready. But that was kind of the thing is like, whenever somebody finds my podcast, I tell them, listen to episode four first, because if you don't like the tone and the tenor of episode four, you're going to hate the rest of it. Right. Right. Even if we find a subject matter, because I talk about abortion, I talk about gun violence, I talk about politics, I talk about immigration, I talk about, you know, toxic masculinity. I mean, I'm about to release the second in a two part series on toxic masculinity. You're going to find something that you agree with me on. But again, Episode four of the podcast, that is the the filter through which you have to get the rest of the podcast information, because if you don't agree with that as a philosophy, it's all good. And to be honest with you, I literally had one person reach out to me to tell me how disgusted they were at the title of the podcast. But after talking to them for a little bit via social media, so it wasn't the best medium, they basically the thing that became clear is they they didn't read anything 
about kind of where this came from and they certainly didn't listen to the episode mm. and so i kept saying i was like can you please go listen to the episode and then we can discuss it otherwise go find a bunch of ministry stuff out there that's that's more suited to you because i told people and i said i think i said it in that podcast most men's ministries are just women's ministries for men like you know it's just a woman's ministry with you know like wood and metal and grass and like you know muscles and like that's what it is but it's still a women's ministry the entire ministry is based around you know some sort of a hot dog cookout uh, a prayer breakfast and getting guys in circles and having them talk to one another i was like there's plenty of that out there for you bro go find it that's not what this is going to be don't come to me with that weak stuff and so that's that was the thing about this podcast is You've got to understand that I'm going to come at things from a perspective that is going to be a little bit more intense than what you're thinking of. Because guess what? I'm not a pastor. I'm not affiliated with any church or any denomination or anything. There's no governing body listening over my shoulder and saying, well, I don't think you should do that or I don't think you should do that. I'm going by what I see and what I can glean from the gospel and what I'm seeing in the hearts and minds of the guys in my everyday life. And that's how I'm going to attack it. And that's how I'm going to talk about it. So how did you come up with the idea or, or what was really the motivation behind not only starting the podcast, but also starting the ministry as a whole? Well, I think uh, a lot of it was because what I mentioned earlier around the same time I became a Christian was around the same time I was trying to figure out how to become a man. And I felt like, and this is, you know, really truncating down a, a lot of, you know, thought and a lot of philosophizing over years and years and years. I kind of got to this point where I felt like most guys had this binary in their heads, a false binary, mind you, but a binary nonetheless, that I can either be a man or I can be a Christian. I certainly can't be both. So you see a guy who maybe is a police officer, former military, maybe an MMA fighter, construction worker, maybe more of a rougher guy that doesn't have a biblical scriptural background or church background. They walk into a church for the first time, maybe ever, or maybe the first time in a long time, and they look around and they don't see a lot of guys like them. And yeah, a lot of that is superficial because they see a lot of guys that are that are soft and pudgy and doughy and you know super soft hands when they shake your hand and, and then you're thinking to yourself man if this is what it means to be a good christian man i think i'd rather just be a good man hmm. and so for me i felt like that that was completely completely unacceptable that a man could walk into a church and miss out on who jesus is on an opportunity to meet his maker and savior because he's looking around at all these doughboys and I thought there's got to be something else because, you know, I was coming up and, you know, uh, Wild at Heart is that incredible book. It's it's probably the most important book in Christian men's Christian men's ministry out there. But at the same time, if you've ever seen John Eldridge present live, the dude's soft. He, he's kind of a weaker guy. And that doesn't mean he's not smart. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have an impact because clearly he has. But again, that that very alpha guy would look at a guy like John Eldridge and be like, man, I don't even know if you've been in a fight before. Like. Have you ever thrown a punch? And I know that's a stupid thing for a guy to think, but it's what they think. So you can think it brutish and you can think it rude or whatever, but at the same time, it's the reality of what's going on in that guy's brain. And so again, that was the culmination of years and years and years of thinking and years of God calling that out in my own heart and in my own brain to say like, man, you've got to do something about this. You do. Like, that's what I felt like God was saying to me. And so I did. Now, before we continue, I do think we all need to get on the same page as far as a definition of when you say masculinity, how do you define that? Yeah, for us, whether you say masculinity, manhood or man, for us, that is a male that cultivates spiritual, mental and physical resilience daily. 
That is what we mean. Because the interesting thing about manhood, or, or especially when you compare it with womanhood, is manhood societally is something that you can lose. So you get to this point where you're a man, but if you run off with the secretary and leave your family behind, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, you're just not a man. That's just not something a man would do. Can you think of a single example where that would be true of a woman? If a woman runs away with her secretary, who happens to be another man, and leaves her family behind, do you see society saying, well, you're just not a woman? That's just not something a woman would do. You can't lose womanhood. Womanhood is tied to biology. So when you get to this point where you're fertile and can carry babies and and have a family and do those different things, you're considered a woman, and it's not something that you can lose. But manhood is something that you can lose just like your keys. Right. And so that's one of those things that I think is really important for us is definitionally we have to know what we're talking about because we're living in a society right now in 2019 where there are people that literally think there are dozens of different kinds of genders. Right. We we can't even sit down and have a cordial discussion, especially if we're on different sides of the political aisle as to what constitutes maleness or femaleness. Because now we're supposed to use these they, them pronouns or zer pronouns or things like that. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is so outside of the bounds of psychology and medicine and biology and everything. And we can't even come together and have one of those definitions. But for me, a man is someone who is actually thinking about spiritual, mental and physical resilience. That's what makes you a man. Now, you've stated in your content that men aren't interested in church, which may be some of the reality. But the other half of it is that they're being repelled from church. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think repel repelled is a more appropriate word because and and this goes back to a lot of the content of that podcast episode as well. Most of the things in most churches basically tell men this is not for you. This music This highly emotive, almost homoerotic music is not for you. The decorations are not for you. The sermon content is not for you. It is for a female audience. And there's really a simple reason for it. And without going too far into the details, around the Industrial Revolution and the two world wars that we experience, most of the able-bodied, strong, alpha male type of guys were either working underground, working in a factory, or dying on some godforsaken beach in another country. The only men, the only males that were left at the churches were the young, the sick, the weak, and the old. That was it. Hmm. Like all of the strong, virile men weren't there. And so these pastors, they just start catering to their audience, which was overwhelmingly women. And the women were overwhelmingly dominant because, again, they were surrounded by weak or old men that weren't exactly taking up the mantle of the church at the time. Again, this is a very much so an oversimplification. Don't I hope the listeners don't realize that that's not lost on me. But at the same time. You start seeing this bend of the music, this bend of the sermon content, this bend of the decorations, everything in the church basically saying, man, this is for women. Look at Christian radio. The overwhelming majority of Christian radio and modern Christian music, contemporary worship music is consumed by women. So doesn't it make sense that most of the lyrical content is going to treat Jesus like he's our boyfriend? Mm. And so if you go to the church where they're singing those songs from those bands, And you're an alpha guy and you're looking at the words on the screen and you're like, I don't want to sing that because it sounds like I'm singing to a boyfriend and I don't want a boyfriend. Right. For us as men, we want a warrior to follow. We want a general to follow. We want a lion to follow. But you don't get that in the music. You just don't. 
And that's where most church services, especially in more contemporary churches, these mega churches, that's where everything starts. You walk in, you get your popcorn and your coffee and you sit down and you listen to a concert where all these guys in tight jeans and they're just basically telling you, hey, let's sing to Jesus. Let's sing to Tinkerbell Jesus and tell him how much we love him and we want him to embrace us to his bosom. And most guys don't have the emotional wherewithal to even realize why that's uncomfortable for them. And so, again, I I think most of what modern churches are doing is they're repelling men. And if they are getting men to come in because they're really good with with uh, outreach and they're really good with their marketing and all those things, which are positives, I'm not downing those things at all. They come into the church, but they're just coming to check a box. They're walking in. They're sitting there for the concert. They're sitting there for the TED talk with a few Bible verses sprinkled in. And then they bounce. They're in and out in 60 minutes, right? They're not cultivating relationships with other men. They're not being intercessors between themselves and the between their families and the spirit world, the darkness of the spirit world. They're not doing any of those things. And it's because they're not being encouraged to do so. Hmm. Do you think that the sermon content suffers from being emasculated as well? Are you kidding me, Joey? Is this <laughs> thing on? Did you ask me that softball question? Because you know better, dang it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because pastors don't want to talk about real stuff. I think we may have talked about this offline or something like that. But the thing is, is there's so much confusion in the flock. There's so much confusion on so many key issues. And if you're not someone who follows politics, maybe some of these issues are a little bit lost on you. But the thing about it is these pastors are concerned about doing their three, four or five week sermon series and making it sound pithy and cool and making sure that they seem relevant. They want to dress nice and and they want to make sure they look good on screen and they want to be just funny enough where everyone laughs, uh, but they want to be just biting enough to where uh, people don't get really offended. But maybe it's something they can remember or put on Instagram or put on a T-shirt or something like that. But at no point are they they trying to bathe us in the reality of the gospel. It's just something that they sprinkle in at the end whenever they pump up the emotive music. And the thing about it is, is there's so many things that people need to be concerned about right now. And a lot of those things have to do with things that pastors won't touch. So whether that's homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, radical, you know, not even radical, just fundamentalist Islam. Uh, what about abortion? That's on the, the tip of everyone's tongue right now. These issues, the flock is confused. They don't know how to argue against them. They don't know how to argue against them from a philosophical basis, but they certainly don't know how to argue against them from a scriptural basis either. I mean, if you want to have a horrible night, and I'm saying this to you and all your listeners, go to stateoftheology.com, stateoftheology.com. That gives you an idea of what evangelicals and just regular Americans think about what the Bible says. It is horrifying, absolutely horrifying to someone reading it that has any type of biblical acumen in their brain whatsoever. And the reality is, is because we have all these beta male pastors that are basically letting things go. All they want to do is talk about the Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. They never mention the Lion of Judah. And we get this confused flock that doesn't have the foggiest idea how to operate. But you know what? I guess they believe in God, so that's good enough. So, other side of this conversation, I grew up with a very domineering, masculine father. And without going into any stories or details, it was hard for me to connect to those types of masculine men for a long time because I saw myself as weak. I saw myself as unable. And that led to me thinking that I wasn't a man unless I did certain things. How would you say that your content and your podcast compensates for men struggling with that identifying factor as a man's man wrestling with that mentality 
Right. If you don't mind me asking, what were the things that you weren't good at or that you weren't able to do that in your mind you felt like constituted being a man? Tools, being handy, not crying, honestly. Okay. So this is what what I would say to that. And that's that's really a great question. I like how you worded it. Um, I've had one guy when he first started listening to my content and read some of my content, he just texts me out of the blue. And this is a guy, you know, collegiate athlete, you know, good dude. Uh, he was just like, Hey man, this, this content's just not for me. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Would you mind if I asked you why you think so? He's like, man, you know, I, I don't do jujitsu and I don't hunt and, you know, I like to run, but I don't really like to lift heavy and all that. I just, this isn't for me. And I think he thought I was just going to leave it there even though he knows me better than that, than to assume that I would just leave anything lie like that. I said, what you're describing are hobbies and interests. That's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the future generation of men, Hmm. because guess what? You could be into cooking and sewing and classical music and art shows, or you could be into jujitsu, hunting, grunting, eating meat, and you know, drinking the blood of, of your, your captured animal or whatever the thing might be. And you could be equally man. Again, it comes back to are you cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily? Because within those things, you're not going to do it the same way. So let's talk about physical resilience because it's the easiest thing to do. How I cultivate physical resilience is I power lift, I do explosive hit cardio, and I do jujitsu. Would I ever make the argument or would you assume that I would make the argument that if somebody was a triathlete that they're somehow not nearly as masculine as I am? Of course not. No. Yeah, that'd be ridiculous. That'd be absolutely ridiculous. You know, you could be a yogi. Now, if you're connecting your ponytail to the tree next to you and like doing your homes to the earth, yeah, that's a problem. That's whenever you start getting into into a little bit of demonic land. But if you're doing yoga literally just so you can have tremendous core strength and tremendous amounts of flexibility, are you somehow less masculine than somebody who just plays pickup basketball? Absolutely not. And so I think a lot of guys that are not handy, which I would consider myself in that. Uh, I can move heavy things, but I can't fix intricate things. It's just not something that mechanically has ever worked with my brain. There's some guys that just aren't into hunting. They're not into driving four-wheel drive trucks in the mud. They're not into the caricature of manhood. And that's exactly what it is. It's a caricature. So it sounds like, and I'm being presumptuous here, that perhaps your dad bought into that caricature, perhaps because that's what was modeled to him. And so what he was doing was just trying to model it to you, what he thought being a man was. Now, there are elements in some of those things that are certainly appropriate and certainly more masculine. There's a reason why the women were the gatherers and the men were the hunters. There's an absolute reason for that. And there's a lot of biology behind that as well. But man, to the guys out there that struggle, they're, they were never a good athlete. They never changed the oil of their own car. They, they struggled with the ladies. Perhaps they had some same-sex attraction. And I'm not saying those things are correlated, but they're not uncorrelated in every situation. But if you had any of those things come true for you, that doesn't mean that you can't be a biblically-based masculine man. It just means that your your version of masculinity might be a little bit different than the guy down the street that only has culture to depend on or that has the church and the Bible to depend on, but is just so happened to be a really good athlete that likes to hunt his entire life. Again, I feel like guys are putting too much emphasis on things that are that are hobby type things that you can cultivate in a certain way, as opposed to what does the Bible tell us and what is the example that it gives us from scripture?
Now, piggybacking on that last question, what role do you think that dads play when it comes to masculinity? Dads play an integral role, an absolutely integral role. And uh, this is all fresh in my brain, literally, because I just recorded the the second part of that toxic masculinity uh, podcast. The thing is, is if you listen to modern culture, especially people that are on the political left, the idea is, is that masculinity's presence in and of itself is a problem. But we don't have the problem with the presence of masculinity. We have a problem with the absence of masculinity. I run down this list on the podcast, and it is just literally dozens and dozens of different stats of what happens to the children in homes where dad is not present. Mm. Okay. And so crime rates go up, school grades go down, uh, teen pregnancy shoots through the roof, incarceration rates, everything that you can imagine that's bad goes up and everything that you can imagine that's good goes down when they're living just with mom. And that doesn't mean, you know, there's something wrong with mom. It means there's something wrong with the model because the model was supposed to be mom, dad, kids. And somewhere along the line, the model got broken in that family. But the thing that people have to realize is how I framed it. And I framed it exactly how I meant to. It is just the absence of fathers that people talk about. Notice they're not talking about the presence of good fathers. Mm. Because just when dad's around, and dad could suck at everything. Dad can be horrifically bad at everything about being a dad. But just when dad is there, all of those negative things start to come down. Suicidality comes down, crime rates come down, you know, teen pregnancy comes down, grades go up. All those things are are changed just when dad's around. And now we get to talk about what kind of dad are you? Are you a doting father? Are you a loving husband? Are you involved in the activities? Are you around? Are you providing? Are you are you fulfilling your biblical uh mandate of providing for your family? resource wise, but also in protection, because then can you imagine where the negatives and the positives go? I mean, the negatives are so far out of the way. You don't have these kids that just fall through the cracks that way when dad's there and dad's involved. It just doesn't happen. It's an anomaly when it does. And so the reality to even get us to this point where we can discuss dad has such a huge role. And if dad, all my dads out there, if you're listening to this, if you abdicate your responsibility here, someone's going to fill the gap. Someone will fill the gap. It's either going to be a moron coach at their high school or it's going to be a gang leader in the community that is going to prey on your son or daughter. That's the guy. So when you abdicate responsibility, somebody takes up the mantle. It's never just a vacuum. It's always a vacuum. It's a gap that becomes filled. Mm -hmm. And so your son doesn't understand what it means to become a man just because they were born. Your daughter doesn't understand what it means to find a man just because they were born and they're alive. None of those things matter. They have to be taught. And that that begs another important thing is when did you know you were a man, Joey? Like, when did I know I was a man? Some guys think it's, you know, whenever they had sex for the first time or maybe when they got their first big boy job or when they moved away to college or got their first paycheck, whatever the thing was. But we live in a Western society where there's no such thing as rites of passage. No such thing. And so in all these other societies that we consider to be less than, right, these societies where it's like, ah, well, you know, uh, these are just, you know, tribal people. That's why they they do all these crazy things with boys. The thing you notice about those communities is there's no crisis of manhood. 
at all. Because there are definitions of what makes a man. There's a tribe in Africa that sends boys out when they're like 12 years old with a spear and nothing else. And there's only three options for what can happen. If they don't come back, it means they suffered a good death out in the wild. If they come back with the head of a lion, which is exactly what they're sent out there to hunt, the skull of the lion is placed on their hut so that forever until that person dies, they know that a man lives in that hut or they come back without a skull, without the head of a lion, and they are forever branded a coward. There's no ambiguity in that system whatsoever about what makes a man. And I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying, all right, guys, send your son out into the woods with a with a machete. Tell him to bring back a coyote's head. Like, I'm not telling you to do those types of things. But at the same time, the role of father cannot be understated. Now, you just mentioned this before about toxic masculinity. Obviously, we're getting a little bit more notoriety. Uh, not notoriety. What's the word? Uh I think notoriety is pretty good. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a buzzword, uh, specifically with that Gillette commercial. Two-part question for you. What do you personally think about that commercial? And what the second one is, what's the difference between what you're propagating with, with biblical masculinity and toxic masculinity? Yeah, so that commercial was social justice, virtue signaling, hot, trashy garbage. Like, It was a bunch of people that got together in a boardroom somewhere that are going to lecture to me and tell me what manhood is. Okay, because here's the funny thing is Gillette thought that they were educating people with that commercial. Are you telling me that men didn't already know that you're not supposed to smack your secretary on the butt? Did, Did men somehow not already know that you shouldn't mansplain because it might, you know, offend somebody unintentionally? Did, did people actually think the guys sit around and were like, yeah, bullying, bullying's the best. Let's go find some weak kid to bully. We already know that stuff. And so, But they're trying to create this dichotomy that this is some sort of acceptable behavior. Hey, bro, we're past that. Yeah. We understand that. Dudes are just broken, just like women are broken. When are they going to make a commercial about toxic femininity? Is Venus going to come out with a commercial about these women who are absolute succubuses? Here's a story for you on toxic mass or toxic femininity. One of my boys, he's been going through a rough separation right now. He's got three kids and his wife and they're separated. And I've been there with them step by step. Well, they go to court last week and they're, they're talking about their, their official separation. So he's got his lawyer. She's got her lawyer. Well, her lawyer, comes to him and his lawyer and they say, Hey, um, your wife, uh, just told me that she, she wants to, she wants to reconcile. Uh, she wants you guys to get into counseling. She wants to make this work. Um, uh, so w- we don't really need to, to file exactly what y'all were wanting to file right now. Um, so let's just, can we just hold off for one sec until she can have a chance to talk to you? He's excited. He's like, Oh man, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to get my marriage back. I'm gonna get my family back. Like this is all going to work out. Sure. She was playing him. Her and his lawyer and her lawyer were playing him. She had no intentions of reconciling the marriage. She had no intentions of going to counseling. They just needed an extension. And wouldn't you know it, after hearing that his wife's willing to reconcile, he and his lawyer sign off on the extension. So 60 days from now, he's got to wait another 60 days where he basically doesn't have a family, doesn't have a home, and doesn't have a pot to piss in. So you want to talk about toxicity? There's some. Where you at, Venus? Make that commercial. But that's that's the thing about that is uh, the commercial was just silly. 
it, it tried to create this big, uh, you know, uproarious point, and it just missed on all counts. I mean, look at the commercial on YouTube. I think as of right now, it's probably around 30 million views and close to like 2 million thumbs down. It's probably close to that by now. I mean, people are looking at this and going, this is dumb. You're a, you're a Razor commercial. And here's the other thing. A few years ago, you did a commercial where a bunch of hot-looking girls had booty shorts on with Gillette across their butts. You want to talk to me about toxic masculinity? You've been using tits to sell your razors for how many years? Give me a break. Like, I'm not buying that from you. I'm not going to take that advice from you. But on the second part of it, we, we go into this on the, the dichotomies of what cultural and caricature masculinity is versus what biblical masculinity is. Because we have to look for examples from the Bible of when masculinity was done well, and we can also learn from when it wasn't done well. I mean, everyone loves King David. We love Samson. We, wo- we love Jephthah. We, we love Nehemiah. These guys were flawed. And we need to learn from their flaws, but we also need to learn from their from the good things that they've given. We live in a society right now where every time we see that one of our elders or one of our forefathers did something wrong, we try to whitewash everything historically about that person. So George Washington owned slaves, so we shouldn't listen to anything that George Washington said. Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, so we shouldn't listen to anything that he said or wrote, including the document that allowed us to say these things out loud. Well, what about Martin Luther King Jr.? This guy didn't believe in the Trinity, and he beat his wife, and he cheated on her multiple, multiple times. Should we throw out everything that he ever did? Should we throw out the I have a dream speech? No. We can acknowledge the parts where they were grossly mistaken, but also take the good things as well. And so society wants to tell us that things like like competitiveness and aggressiveness and stoicism are just net negatives no matter what. But It's only because we live in a society where about a hundred years ago, we had a bunch of alpha sheepdogs sitting on beaches over in Europe, pushing back darkness and pushing back evil. That's the only reason why we're not speaking German and why we can sit around and have stupid conversations about gender fluidity. Because we live in a society where we don't literally have to go hunt for our food. We don't literally have to defend the edges of our neighborhoods or the edges of our land. All that stuff's already done for us. So we've got all these alpha dogs taking care of things for us, and then we just get to sit around and think. And wouldn't you know it, a few decades later, we start getting stupid theories like gender theory and all this other random nonsense. It's because those people don't have to actually do anything to contribute to society. So I know there's a lot of different ways that you can go there, but I think that's just a good primer. Kyle, as we continue this conversation about masculinity, a thought pops into my head. If you could start a church from the bottom up, you're planting the church, you're the one who's running it, you've got the vision. What would you want it to look like to ensure it had a masculine feel that a, that a man could feel comfortable within it? What, what would you what would you do differently from what you're seeing? I think the core thing that I would do, and I talked to a pastor that's out on the East Coast, uh, his name's uh, Michael Fletcher. Um, and I think the name of his church is Mana Church. I think it's Mana Church. But I was listening to the Stephen Mansfield podcast, and I'm, I'm friends with Stephen Mansfield. And uh, he said the the guy who does men's ministry better than any any church he's ever seen is Michael Fletcher with Mana Church out on the East Coast because he's he's out you know near Washington D.C. So there's a lot of um, special forces and special operations guys that are out there, and a lot of them are members of his church. 
And so I asked Stephen Mansfield if he would connect me with Fletcher, and he said, absolutely, I'll do that. And so I got Fletcher on the phone, and I asked him something very similar to what you did, but I was just like, man, how do you have such a robust men's ministry? And he immediately corrected me and said, we don't have a men's ministry. And I was like, uh, uh, sorry, uh, I think I think maybe I'm confused. I thought Stephen Mansfield on his podcast said that you have the best men's ministry that he's ever seen. He goes, look, we don't do anything specifically for men. I just model manhood and make sure that everything that I do caters to men and mm-hmm. is appropriate for men. I was like, huh. So they didn't have a line item in the budget that said men's ministry. They didn't have a pastor with some title that said men's minister, probably after you know a myriad of other titles as well and responsibilities. But he just made sure that he modeled manhood and masculinity for everybody. He made sure that the sermon content would appeal to the heart and the brain of a man. He made sure that the activities that the churches took part in embraced men and was able to use their skill sets. It wasn't all, you know, uh, let's take meals over and let's hold hands of people while they're crying. But things that maybe men are a little bit better at being active, doing things with their hands, you know, actually physically interceding when evil is being done, those types of things. And so I would say if I was the one starting the church and I would presumably be the lead pastor as well, that's what, what I would do. You know. In terms of the building, yeah, buildings matter to people that have an aesthetics connection, that they want to be in some place that agrees with them aesthetically. But, I mean, that's pretty easy to to be aesthetically pleasing to a man. I mean, concrete floors, wood floors, I mean, grays, grays and browns and blacks on the walls and stuff like that. <laughs> like that, that's all pretty easy. Yeah. Like we, we don't need blonde hair, blue eyed baby Jesus, like hanging out on the wall. Like we don't need doily patterns. We don't need quilts that someone's grandma made two generations ago. That's still hanging on the wall for whatever reason. But it's creating the environments that are conducive to male growth. And I think we treat that as something that's way more difficult than it should be. And so, so from my perspective, that's what I would do. Focus on the content because the content's what they're going to walk away with. You know, you make that first impression when you walk in the building, oh, the temperature feels good or, oh, these people's t-shirts fit nice or here, let me, let me shake this hand. Oh, that was a good handshake. You get all that stuff, but then they sit in the chair. That's what they're going to go home with. So start there and then figure it all out from there. And Kyle, as we wrap up our time, what do you think that the church needs to hear from someone in your position uh, on the topic of masculinity to help us all move in a more positive direction? I think a lot of that is what I already just said, just yeah. in this last answer. <laughs> it's it's like, hey, what are you doing to 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 make this palatable for men? Like, what are you doing to to separate this in terms of the things that would be interesting to a woman or to a beta male? So how are you getting your alphas involved? Like, how, how are you getting them triggered and fired up? Like, how are you keeping them engaged? And the thing about it is, is most pastors don't have to do that kind of thing. Because basically, especially if you live in a place like Oklahoma, you just open up a building, put the word church out there on the sign, and people will just show up. Like, we can actually do something here called church shopping. Right. Some people don't understand that. I got people down in Australia that listen to this podcast and they're like, yeah, we have two churches in our entire district or state or whatever they call it uh, down there in Australia. And that's it. That's all they got. They, they got the Catholic Church and then they got the Episcopalian Church and that's it. So <clears throat> most people don't have to th- have a marketing mindset or a business mindset. They just operate. But at the same time, if you're not taking manhood seriously within the church, 
people will be learning learning about masculinity from somewhere else. There will be another source where they will be getting their cues. So think about the young men in, in the church. Let's not just assume that their dads are taking care of it. What if dad's not present mentally or physically? Okay, they're not getting any hints from the church as to what a man should be. Where are they going to be getting their hints from? Maybe from Netflix? Maybe from pornography? Maybe from their idiot friends? That's where they're going to get their cues from. And that's the future of your church, you dope. So so what are you going to do about it? How are you going to engage them? How are you going to keep them engaged? It's all about being intentional, man. That's the thing, Joey, is if you're not being intentional, you're dying on the vine. Because the girls are going to get taken care of. There, there are, for every one podcast that's like mine, there are a thousand that would be appealing to a female, a female Christian. Like there's a thousand things that Joyce Meyer can tell you about how to be a better Christian female. But at the same time, how many voices are out there doing that for men? There's not that many. We just assume because men are saying it, that the words are coming out of their face, that somehow it's sinking in. It's not. And we got to be better. That's great, man. And, and and thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing with us. Where can people connect with you, with the podcast? How can they follow up? Absolutely. The podcast is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. You can find that on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. You can go to our website. It's just www.undaunted.life. You can find some of our resources on there. Also, if you guys have the YouVersion Bible app, just type Undaunted Life into plans because we've got a couple of devotionals on there. One's a 21-day men's devotional just for men. It goes into spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And then we also have a five-day uh, marriage devotional on there as well. So there's a lot of content out there, but just follow us on social media. You'll be able to keep up that way. And we'll make sure we list all that in the show notes. But again, thanks for coming on the show. Joe, it was a pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic discussed today, maybe your experience and ways that we can continue to create community. Visit the website at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com. <laughs>